1: Hello everyone, my name is Grace and I'm the Community Manager here at the StoryCraft Café. If you have not already joined us in the Café, I would like to personally invite you to our community. We have so many awesome things going on this month. We have totally revamped our writing group program to include a writing group marketplace where you can browse open writing groups or decide to create your own. At the beginning of the month, we launched the 500 Club which is an exclusive accountability group that challenges you to write 500 words a day over a two week or a month long commitment. Finally, this month, we launched weekly communal word sprints that are open to all crafters. As of this moment, we have four sprints happening per week and we are ranking outwards. If you're interested in joining our community, you can find us online at storycraft.cafe. That's S-T-O-R-Y C-R-A-F-T dot C-A-F-E Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode
0: It's Monday and that means once again it's time to join us here in the StoryCraft Cafe for another great author interview Today we have Helene Wecker who talks to us about about writing modern fantasy built on ancient myths This is a fascinating conversation I know you're going to love it Before we get over to Helene though, let's listen to Melissa Cruz talk about writing fantasy for a YA audience.
2: I think, you know, you have to, you know, since I am a YA writer, I I do like to write about teenagers and about that time in your life when you're discovering things and you're trying to figure out who you are and what you want to do, but the world is still so new and open and your whole life is in front of you. And then when you transfer that, to the fantasy world um you know it it, it feels uh, very natural um because so much even with game of thrones you know when it starts uh with the starks you know they're all quite young um i think uh john snow was maybe like 14 or 15 when he sent to the wall so yes. so, so it does it does feel natural to start at that point um in the characters lives um even with Lord of the Rings, you know, with Frodo and, and his friends, they felt, you know, young to me that they were young men, you know, kind of just starting on their lives. Um, and, uh, and it is about, you know, okay, there's magic, there's, you know, danger, you know, but there's also growing up. Uh, so it, it feels, you know, it, it almost feels like fantasy is for a YA reader, um, because I read those books when I was a teenager, they just felt really natural. I feel like this whole kind of new kind of marketing sections we've been placed into, like why it's so big. But you know, as James Patterson said, you know, a lot of books are for nine years old to 90. You know, once you can read, once you can comprehend, you know, there's a lot of books um, out there. So I think there is that um, general reader for fantasy um, that, uh, You don't have to just be 15 or 13. You know, you can be 50 and still enjoy it.
0: Today, I'm super excited to have Helene Wecker on the show with me. She has a fantastic new book. It's not exactly new, but it is uh, newly released in paperback. It's called The Hidden Palace, a novel of the Golem and Jenny. And what a fun book. Uh, What a... What a lush, deep, um, immersive experience this book was, and uh, I, I can't wait for everyone to pick up their copy of it. Uh, welcome to the show, Helene.
3: Well, thank you so much, Hank. Thank you for having me on, and thank you for your kind words.
0: Absolutely. Um, Helene, we uh, we have a couple of questions that we, that we vary um, when we start the show, and, um, uh, you know, Great ways to start conversation. Um, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller?
3: Oh gosh, um, my first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller, I think, <laughs> has is is sort of tied up with the first book that I really fell in love with, which was um, a book called "Myths and Enchantment Tales." And a, I don't think it's still around it was one of these I th- I think it was either you know British it was like written probably like the 30s or 40s it was this um, uh, boulderized selection of Greek and Roman myths for children that left out all the the, the dirty and gory bits um <laughs> and it was this the, the book itself was this, this sort of thin hardcover with these absolutely beautiful art deco illustrations and I memorized that thing um, I read it over and over again and it wasn't until much later till I was an adult that I realized that I think that book did a lot of sort of the map making for me of storytelling um and it you know it just got a sort of sunk into my DNA and I ended up, going from there and and falling in love with a lot of the sort of sci-fi and fantasy that reproduced, I think, a lot of the structure of um, of, of those those myths. Those, you know, really old you know, sort of like like the the DNA, um, you know, get, gets fed into you know tales as as you go on and tales of, of the impossible or the improbable or or the fantastic. Um, and so I, I ended up. I think probably like my first stories that I wrote were really bad fan fiction of <laughs> of you know Star Trek and Doctor Who and and a lot of the um, sort of going out and exploring and 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 finding difference uh, sort of stories. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, it's it, it all got tied up together. And and I remember just reading that book over and over and then talking to you know my parents about it or my brother um and and seeing you know and then when you would you know people would use references to you know the greek myths like a herculean uh you know struggle or something like that i'd be like oh i know who that is you know (laughs) you see statues of atlas holding holding the globe and and i it it felt like secret knowledge it felt like you know i was seeing bits of it all over so i think that all just sort of tied together
0: I love that. Um, so, having this early experience with uh, you know these these old myths and and you start kind of seeing how a lot of these things uh, you know have filtered into our modern understandings of things. Um, were were they uh, Were you? Interested in myths from all over the world? What what was it that uh, that when you finally decided to write this story, what was it about the the Golem and and the genie that that really uh, captured your imagination?
3: So, you know, I think you know you said are you, were you interested in, in in myths from all over the world? I think. Uh, As I discovered them, I got interested in them, but, you know, there wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm a child of the eighties and unfortunately we did not have like the push toward, you know, multicultural storytelling, uh, as much in my, you know, growing up as, as we do today. Um, so when I found them, you know, as I, I, I grew up, I was interested in them, um, but it wasn't you know I think I think the Greek and Roman myths were basically as, as diverse as as, as my storytelling got uh, you know back in the 80s and unfortunately um, but you know as I got older and you know I, I someone asked me recently when was your first uh, what was your first story of a golem when, when did you first? Learn about golems, and you know I grew up Jewish in the Midwest, and but I never really absorbed all of the legends. Um, I I didn't I, I didn't have family that told me you know the the tales. You know I had you know so, some. You know, at Sunday school or or wherever, I got a few like Isaac Bisshopp Singer uh, Bisshopp Singer stories or Shalom Aleichem stories, and you know the stuff that had been sort of boiled down for kids. Maybe a few things, but Golems had always sort of been around, but I didn't know where they. I don't know where they, they came from. I, you know, my, my grandparents didn't tell me they, they, they left all that stuff behind in the old country. You know, that wasn't something that, um, that, that they talked to me about at least. Um, And I think honestly, like my first Golem stories were like, the sci-fi retellings of them you know there's that x-files episode uh right. they had a golem in it and there was um a, a friend of mine who's a, a jewish fantasy writer who i know actually from college <clears throat> she wrote a golem story that was the first female golem i'd ever seen her name is neomi kritzer um and so but i never read like Um, oh gosh Uh, He, She and It I never read um, the (laughs) I blank on everyone's names Um, uh, the Puttermesser Papers by Cynthia Ozick all of those like came later so when so it was more like the this idea of golems that sort of existed out there in the ether that I never that I didn't have like a really firm hold on um, until I started doing the research and writing as as part of this Um, and And for for Jen, it was really the same. I had the, you know, the the Americanized, Westernized, uh, you know, Aladdin and and, Thousand and One Nights and I Dream of Genie and all of that. And so I knew enough to know that that was what the West had done to these stories to some (laughs) extent. Um, And so – when I started working on The Golem and the Genie, I, I made a very deliberate effort to go and find the original, you know, oh gosh, ori- I mean, it's in the Quran, Jinn in the Quran. So when you say the original, it's like you, you're going all the way back. Like, right. Um, but you know to to uh, to educate myself as much as I could uh, within reason about um you know different versions of the jinn story and the jinn myth and 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 you know which is quite an ordeal because they are so diverse and pervasive throughout uh, the Muslim and Middle Eastern world um so yeah, a lot of I mean it, it, I think I I sort of – I spent a lot of my life as a a sponge just sort of soaking up random stuff. But then once I got to the job of actually deliberately sitting down and doing the research, that was like a whole other
0: education. So I I think a lot of people's um, introduction to fantasy and and a lot of what they have been immersed in is kind of Middle Ages, uh, European – culture that's yep. that's what a lot of fantasy uh, involves now the Golem is uh g- goes back to uh to Jewish folklore and the genie goes back to Muslim folklore um first off, um, when you really got I- excited about these these characters these um, the kind of archetypes, where did you go to to really dig into to kind of, um, shed some of that Western influence that that had been kind of crept into these uh, story archetypes, and to really dig into who they traditionally were and and the rich history that comes with them.
3: You know, it's hard. Um, I know that as a. As a, a Western woman, an American woman who does not read or speak Arabic, there's only so much I can get to the original because it sure. is still going to be filtered into English and and right. and through various translators, um, many of whom were deeply problematic in their own ways. Um, but I went online and found a lot of uh, scholarly articles from uh, – uh, you know, like the early 1900s of uh, sort of explorers. Basically, the when sociology and and um, you know the cultural studies started to actually become a thing, and when people were starting to actually take um, non-Western cultures. You know, seriously, to to some extent, and not as like we're going to go and tell them how silly they are, but we're going to go and actually write down what people are saying, um, and and then you know see if we can figure out like a cosmology behind it or you know how this relates to their larger society. So, um, you know, there's one guy who you know went to all the the little villages in in um. Uh, um in Lebanon on, on, well, what was then sort of the region of Lebanon and is now like the the, the country of Lebanon um, and wrote down all of the folklore. You know, you would just like sort of walk around the town and, and find out, you know, what people, you know, oh, don't go to that. Well, that's where the jinn are. Okay. Well, how do you know? And well, because, <laughs> you know, strange things happen there and all, you know, all that sort of local lore. Um, and sayings and, and, and superstitions and, you know, okay, why do you, uh, blue, blue beads and iron beads, you know, why do you tie those around your baby's necks? It's to keep them safe. It's, you know, like the evil eye. And so I, you know, just all the little, <clears throat> some of it, you know, just being like the day-to-day details, um, that, you know, the things like that, that we don't even sometimes think about in our culture anymore, like putting a horseshoe over your door, you know, that, that's still, you can still see that even if it's not like a real horseshoe, there's like an architectural feature. Will there be like well, a little arch over a door? Well, that's, you know, to, to keep the, the originally that was, uh, um it was because it was iron and that was what kept the fairies out. And then you know, going back to to Western and, and, and British Isles and all of that. And what's really fascinating to me is that uh both the West and the East have this same um thing about iron that um that gin are allergic, you know, sort of uh, quote unquote to iron. It's like they're kryptonite. And so I would start to see how there's like these little connections between it's like, oh oh well this is similar already. You know, this is stuff that i kind of already know and it's it's that same root of like the the you know the the fairy world and the jing world being like representative of of nature and the uncontrollable and um and then having uh, humanity being represented by iron and progress and machinery. And that's what's beating back the, the, the savage of, you know, savage nature. And so when, when you start to see that stuff, it's like, oh, okay, well, this isn't so different. And I can start to relate this through those little details and, and make it um, in, into something that, you know, feels sort of woven through the fabric of, of the characters' lives
0: so when we're we're dealing with jewish culture and muslim culture um we're we're talking about cultures that originally were very close geographically mm-hmm. um and that share a lot of cultural um uh, touch points a, a, a lot of the, the culture kind of overlaps between the two. Um, have you seen in, in your, your research and your kind of familiarizing yourself with these concepts, with these characters, um, it, has there been much overlap uh, in, in the past in, in genies and golems that kind of uh, occupy the same space and occupy the same stories?
3: Well, not um, on the golem side. A lot of the golem myth um, comes specifically from uh, Middle Ages European Judaism, Jewish culture. And so – and a lot, in fact, of the stories that we now look at as like the the, – the most classic golem stories of the Middle Ages are actually um, more modern inventions from like the 1800s that were said to be the, uh, you know, it's like, it's, ah, oh, this is an old tale. This is an old Middle Ages tale. Well, no, you just sort of invented it about, you know, 20 <laughs> minutes ago. Um, <clears throat> and so that uh you know the, the if you really dig into the scholarship of it you can see that like apparently cuz i'm no scholar but what i what i what i've read is that um you know a lot of the stuff it's like eh, some of it's all other stuff that had the serial numbers filed off and got rewritten and and you know the 1001 nights is exactly the same thing um but the thing that is really cool that i really wish that i could have figured out a way to put into this um, and to the second book that I haven't – that I, I I didn't and I'm, I'm still sort of banking for later is how much jinn um, were also a part of just, just sort of the, the, the fabric of uh, Jewish Middle Eastern life um, because it is like the regional myth and it gets worked into – you know, Jewish stories from um, from the the Middle East, from you know, basically the 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 Jews who stuck around and and um, you know never you know who were either like went to Spain and and became Moranos or who who like you know stayed in in Yemen and and you know various other countries and you know Iran and 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 Jordanian Jews and and all of those um, and Iraqi Jews. Um, this was all – jinn were always part of, of their life, and I had a woman who was an uh, Iranian Jew, I think, came up to me at a reading once, and she would tell me about how uh, her grandmother – um would be you know it was known for her dancing and at weddings she would start to dance and then she would get like you know she would just start spinning in circles and 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 get you know basically into a trance and, and other people would say oh the jinn are in her now and it's like i yeah that that of course it, it was just sort of like eye-opening to me of course that would be a part of jewish life in the middle east because it's basically you know the local folk you know folk stories folk religion that gets absorbed the, uh into uh you know the codified religion and it, it ends up being in that sort of overlap between uh, mythology and and uh religion and folklore and there's all that just sort of mushed together that becomes uh, you know, just sort of a fabric of – part of the fabric of everyone's lives. And so I really need to to figure out a way uh, to put to, – to get that into a book at some point because I just think it's so fascinating.
0: So you've got these mythical um, creatures uh, that, that you've become fascinated with and, and you see the interconnection and the interplay that, that could um, happen between them then you take those characters and you bring them to uh to america and in in the past but not not uh not the ancient past um you know a, a past that our parents and grandparents uh could have experienced um what was it that what was that that initial spark of an idea you know hey i could take these characters i could bring them to uh to the to the Western world, to America in a semi-modern setting and then, you know, see what hilarity ensued.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, and, and that is basically what happened. Um, you know, I really sort of backed my way into it. Um, when I think about how it happened, it was sort of, there wasn't a lot of deliberation about it it was almost like this thought experiment that turned into a book because what happened was that I was um I was at Columbia and it it, and uh Columbia University in New York I was getting my um my master's in in creative writing and I was writing these very real you know sort of like the MFA Carver-esque short story very realist lots of um you know, small emotional epiphanies sort of uh, stories that were taken from real life stories that were from my husband's family and and my family. You know, I me growing up Jewish in suburban Chicago, him growing up Arab American and 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 you know 45 minutes away from me. Um and you know we didn't meet till college, but um but our family's histories of immigration to the US and sort of the psychological effects that it has on the immigrants and then their children and, you know, growing up basically in white bread suburbia and um, it had always resonated for me with me like that our our families were so close in so many ways even though when you look at you know Jewish and Arab American and in, in, you know you think about you know headlines and in, in the Middle East and, and you think well you should be sort of like knocking heads right and it's like well no because this is in the context of you know growing up watching the same cartoons in, in the 80s and and, and then going right. to you know and, and having the same sort of experiences of feeling just sort of of weird and other um, and, you know, and, and, and growing up sort of with this cultural history, this family history of, of like an emotional resonance with a place that you've possibly never even seen because, you know, that's where your family is from, but it's not where you're from so, so I was working on these stories and the problem that I was having was that they were not working very well. They just were not very good. Um, And I, I was, you know, I was really pissed off about it because, you know, it's that feeling of like, I'm not good enough yet. I'm not a good enough writer yet. I want to be better than this. And so I was talking about it to uh, a friend of mine who was in the class with me and She basically, at one point, turned to me and said, Helene, why are you doing this? Why are you writing these very, you know, subtle, emotional, realist tales when I, I know what a nerd you are, I've been to your apartment, and I've seen your bookshelf, and, <laughs> and you're always talking in class about all of, you know, the uses of the fantastical and literary fiction and, and this and that. And that's, so why aren't you doing that? Because that's where your heart is. And... I I honestly hadn't, you know, to this day, I'm like, why didn't I do that? I have no idea why. And I think I was just too intimidated by going to Columbia. And it was like, well, I can't be writing that stuff here, you know. And it wasn't like anyone told me that. It was something I, you know, sort of put on myself without even realizing um. So I you know, basically like wandered home to my apartment and, and sat there I was like, OK, so what if what if I do that? What if instead of like the Jewish girl and American and, and, and Arab American boy who'd been like sort of like threading through these stories? OK, we're, we're going to kneel game in this. We're going to what if we make them a girl golem and a boy genie? And OK, well, well, I could just sort of see them. You know, just standing there. As soon as I said that, I was like, "Okay, well, there's there, there you guys are." There's, it was like this tall woman uh, who looked sort of shy and unsure of herself, and this this equally tall man who had this sort of bad boy look around to him. I was like, "Okay, so where are you guys? You know, what 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 do I do with you?" Um, and because I, I think because I was thinking about it in terms of, of, of like folklore and, and immigration together, that sort of suggested an Ellis Island sort of setting to me. Um, so I was like, OK, well, I'll put you in Manhattan at the turn of the 20th century and you're just going to sort of wander around until you find each other. And so I sat down and wrote. That day, like the first 12 pages of what would later, later become the golem and the genie. Um, but I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea about, you know, 20th century, you know, early turn of the 20th century American life. I was I was just sort of like skimming over the details because I didn't know what they were. I'm like, how do people live? What what you know? What what do you eat? What, how do you know what time it is if, you know, there aren't like people don't have wristwatches yet? So I'll just leave that stuff out for now. So I brought it, you know, I, I wrote about a dozen pages and I brought it to a workshop and, and everyone you know, read it and got back to me and said, well, this is, this is the most interesting thing you've, you've shown us so far. Uh, you know, so thank you for that. This is better than the other stuff. Um, but this isn't a short story. This is a novel and we think you should know. Um, And I did not believe them at first. I was like, no, this is just like a fun short story that I'm going to get out of my system. And then I'm going to go back to, you know, the real work. And then the story, it was like it got longer and longer and longer. And it felt like there was just more and more that I wanted these characters to do. And the story – itself started to get interesting in those details that i didn't know yet it was like okay how do you actually go about disguising yourself as a human in 1899 new york what how do you get an apartment how do you you know what? What? What do you do? How do you get around town? What? What sort of job would you have if you're a golem? You know, if you're like a girl golem who, you know, you, you can't exactly go down to the uh, to the docks and say, hey, I'd like to be a stevedore and and like haul things around all day because you're a woman. So you have to figure out how to do something that you know is going to take that physical urge of like being a, a creature that's made for work and um and and translate and, and but also like do something that's like women are allowed to do. So I made her into a baker and then I put her in a bakery and now I've got this whole world of the Lower East Side with like this popular bakery that she's seeing everyone come in and out. Now I have to read about the Lower East Side. So everything just sort of unfolded bit by bit and turned into this giant world that I got a very invested in and wanted to show everyone and so this thing that i thought and and you know and then over on on um uh the genie side too it's like well okay what what arab americans are in america in 1899 and i started to do the research and i learned okay so it's the lebanese and it's mostly christian it's almost exclusively christian just because of the demographics and and who's um, you know who, who has the enough English to come to America and actually get a job? Well, it's going to be the Lebanese Christians who learned English from the missionaries who came and you know would be at a church for a few years and teach someone enough English to get by and then give them a letter of introduction and then you know then they could go to America and make a living. And so now I'm reading memoirs of of Lebanese Christians who came to America at the turn of the 20th century and I'm reading about these these this community that formed um, in the southern tip of Manhattan that was called Little. Syria. Um, and so, you know, the same thing's going over on that side. And so <laughs> this short story this, that I thought I was writing turned into a book that took seven years in the end to, to research writing and get out into the world. And that's, I mean, it really just sort of walked backwards into the whole thing.
0: It, it never ceases to amaze me, um, the power of story to break down barriers and to um, uh, to Extend the olive branch, in, in sort of a way that you know, when when you think about disparate cultures and and people like like you alluded to earlier, um, you know the the idea that that you should be knocking heads with, um, mm-hmm. uh, but when we couch that in story and and we allow the humanity to show that, and, and humanity humanity is a is an interesting way to describe these characters because they are, uh, they are not human. Um, but they do reflect, um, our humanity in in their character development. Um, what was that like writing these characters and, and, and realizing kind of the, the importance that you were, uh, that they were taking on, whether, whether you maybe intended for them to or not, um, But was there ever a realization, you know, that these characters are going to are going to grow bigger than than I maybe initially intended for them to or they were going to have importance that that maybe I didn't first, uh, you know, give that intent to?
3: You know, it's a really good question. And it. It did actually happen that way because at first I had no idea who these two were. Um, and because I had, you know, gotten into the idea of the book the way that I did, they at first were little more than stand-ins for, for me and, and my husband, you know, they were sort of these, these vessels of, of, you know, well, you're, you're going to be the, the metaphor, the figurehead, whatever. Um, But then as I got into the details of the story and I started to think through the day-to-day of, okay, so what are they going to do with their lives? That was when they started to develop their own personalities and their own considerations, um, many of which came directly from their natures as these inhuman creatures who are being forced into um human acting lives um and what you know what are they going to strain against what is going to drive them absolutely crazy and what is going to um and and then once once they meet up you know i sort of created them as as they took on their own personalities i i i I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to be shaping you guys, let's, let's look at you almost as like opposites in some way Um, where, you know, the, the golem, her, her whole purpose, uh, what she's built for is, is servitude and the, and, you know, and she's really not comfortable unless she's helping someone, unless she's, uh you know, being of use. That is, that is like her 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 calling her you know her ultimate goal is to be of use that is what she feels she is there for um and you know the genie is the exact opposite he's you know a, a, a free spirit he you know very very uh well usually literally i've 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 trapped him in human form for for the purpose of of the book um but he you know he's deeply resentful of the fact that he is now stuck in this human world, um, that he was, you know, he, he, he was brought over basically by accident, um, and did not ask for any of this. And he, but he's like, well, I'm, you know, I I guess if I'm here, I need to make the most of it, but I'm not exactly going to be happy about it. Um, so when these two meet, you know, he has he has feels he has no obligation to anyone or anything. Um, he, human rules, human, you know, things like monogamy and, and uh, you know, having to wear clothing and things like that just just piss him <laughs> off. Um, so when so when these two get together, they, you know, I, I basically I was able to design them to react to each other where it was like these two are going to be like oil and water. And they are going to do nothing but argue about it. But the overarching thing that is going to ally them and keep them together is that they are the only ones who know what the other one is going through. Um, It's it's sort of this um, uh, very contentious society of two. <clears throat> where they are sitting outside humanity and observing it, and you know interacting with it in in their own uh, you know very different ways, but they have this common conversation because because of their position. And it is, they do get to, I, I do get to sort of look at humanity through them, um, which was not my intent at the beginning, but w- pretty quickly, I mean, I, I guess it, it sort of makes sense that if you, you take two characters who aren't human and, and, and you put them in the middle of, of, you know, 1899 New York society, what you're going to get is a lot of philosophy. You're going to get a lot of why the hell are they doing what they're doing? And uh, you know, w- w- what is it about humans that drives us crazy and 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 that gets pretty deep into human nature uh, and and societal rules and and you know stuff like that and and different perspectives on it so i've had people ask me why did you put so much philosophy in these books about monsters and i was like it just sort of came with them <laughs> they, they they just sort of started talking and 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 this was what they talked about because this was their common experience was looking at humans and from a position of of, of, You know, from the edge, from the outside. And I guess that is what philosophy is to some extent, um, as, as much as anyone can remove themselves from humanity in order to look at it. Um, so that it, it was just sort of, you know, a thing that developed along with the book.
0: The Hidden Palace is book two uh, for these characters. Uh, is there more life for these uh, characters going forward?
3: I I think I hope so. I sir I am working on book three. Um, as not as we speak, but <laughs> book three is currently open on my computer. It is right now a massive research and notes that um, don't make a lot of you know. Well, hopefully that makes sense, but there isn't. It's a skeleton right now with pieces missing and I'm sort of slowly building it. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know past book three what what may or may not happen. But um, but yeah, part of the fun of these characters is that they are, you know, essentially in some way immortal. And so I've had people say to me, you could bring these up into the modern world if you wanted to, you could just like write them straight through to our times. And I was like, yeah, I could, it would be sort of more and more work as I went on to be like, okay, how are they pretending to, you know, have they sort of fake their own deaths and, and, and come back as their own children, you know, because they are living in a world that, um, you know, will notice if you don't age and if you, you know, you don't eat. And so that is part of the stuff they have to pretend to do. Um, so but yeah, I I think there's more life in them. I think there's um, yeah, I think there's a lot more they can do.
0: Well, if you decide to write them through to modern history, I am here for it. Let me just (laughs) just tell you. Uh, The Hidden Palace is available everywhere now in in the original hardcover uh, release and now in paperback, as well as The Golem and the Genie, the first book in the series. Go grab them both. You will not be disappointed, I promise. Um, Helene, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, where can they find you online?
3: They can find me at HeleneWecker.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly if it's Helene Wecker or Wecker H, but I am the only Helene Wecker out there. So just search on me and you'll find me.
0: Great. Uh, we will put links to those uh, places in the, uh, in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you. Um, I love this book. I know everyone else will. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.